from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations between our regularly pod- scheduled podcast episodes in order to give you a better picture of how the COVID-19 virus is impacting all parts of the alcohol beverage business, as well as to help provide a bit of hope and a path forward for all of us. Today, I'm talking with Kate Latz, the Chief Marketing Officer of Heaven Hill Brands. Kate, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. Delighted to be here. So, you know, before we, we jump into everything, how are you doing? I'm great. You know, I am healthy. I'm safe. I have a job. I have an amazing team of people. And, um, you know, we're, we're all just adapting and being nimble and, you know, glad to be here. So for those of the listeners who aren't familiar with Heaven Hill um, or are might be familiar with some of your products, but not the distillery in general. Can you give us a quick overview? I mean, I'm personally very familiar. I was drinking Elijah Craig last night, but um, (laughs) I would like to know if anyone else, you could just give us a quick overview for anyone who is listening to the podcast who isn't as familiar with the distillery as a whole. Sure. Happy to. I could talk for half an hour on this topic. Um, So not only am I the chief marketing officer of Heaven Hill, but I am also part of the Shapira family that founded Heaven Hill 85 years ago. My grandfather and his four brothers founded Heaven Hill just after Prohibition. And we were started as an American whiskey company in the heart of bourbon country in Bardstown, Kentucky. And for the first 35 years of the company's history, we really focused on that, being an amazing American whiskey bourbon company. When my dad came to the business, who is president today, Max Shapira, he joined in 1970. We're just celebrating his 50th anniversary with Heaven Hill. Amazing, right? Um, he really saw the opportunity to, for, to diversify the company beyond American whiskey. And while American whiskey remains the heart and soul, 100% of the company and represents Um, just under 30% of our company's business. Today, we are highly diversified with products across a range of categories. Um, Many, um, uh, many brands you would know and you're you're listening, the listeners out there will know near and dear to their heart from Deep Eddie Vodka and Lunazul Tequila to Christian Brothers Brandy, Admiral Nelson's Rum, Palma and Domaine Decanton Liqueurs and Hypnotic. And of course, those those whiskeys um, you mentioned, Eliza Craig, Evan Williams, and Larceny are three of our flagship uh, American whiskeys, and that we we are super proud of. So today, with this huge portfolio, we are actually the fifth largest supplier in the country, and the largest family owned and operated distilled spirits producer, which we are so so proud of. And back to to the the whiskey. Um, role that we play in this industry. We've really been at the leadership of this renaissance in the American whiskey category and have made so much investment, $100 million of investment in our facilities, including now what is noted as the world's largest single-site bourbon distillery, which is unbelievable, right? Making um, 400,000 barrels um, a year. So so really big time stuff. Amazing. So with all of those products, and especially being something that I, a company that I think of when it comes to bourbon, how has the, the virus impacted the business? And what are the steps that you had to take you know, when the lockdown began? And what have you implemented since? Right. Well, we were pretty on the forefront of recognizing that 
things were going in a not amazing direction. And it was really interesting here in Kentucky, you know, we are part of the Kentucky Distillers Association and have um, two locations on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. And interestingly, the, the, the Kentucky Distillers Association and the Bourbon Trail were really identified early on to take action and, and find ways to address the um, emerging pandemic. And at the time, you know, we were like, really? Gosh, I mean, this is, you know, back in February and, and it was all still, wow, is this really happening? And we responded, though, pretty seriously and put together a task force right there in the middle of February that really has been active and really put Heaven Hill at the forefront of leadership around policies and, and pr- protocols for, for managing this with the number one priority of keeping our employees safe and healthy. Of course. And, you know, from a business perspective, those those first that month of March and in those first couple of weeks, it was, you know, record shipment days. And as consumers across the country were stocking up and um, demanding more and more product as, as no one knew exactly where this was going. Right. We then, of course, you know, adapted to the new um, world of of no on-premise business, really. And, you know, our portfolio is a bit more weighted towards the off-premise than some other companies. So we've continued to be able to persevere pretty successfully. But, you know, nobody knows exactly what um, the world is going to look like in the months ahead. But anyways, you know, some of the other things we did, we, 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 we've sort of started joking about the hand sanitizer um, concept. And, you know, we here we were like literally trying to turn out record production days, record shipment days, but we could see that hand sanitizer was becoming um, a real need. And so in spite of the, 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 the wildness of just keeping our operations running, not just a bit, but at over capacity, along with putting in the protocols to keep our employees safe and healthy, we were able to adapt and figure out a way to start production on hand sanitizer. And at first, we were um, really creative. As you can imagine, our visitor center personnel were not being able to do their regular roles as being tour guides and ambassadors at our visitor facilities. So they were our first um, hand sanitizer team. And right. they you know, re- returned um, both of our visitor centers into operations for literally batching, mixing, bottling, and then ultimately distributing the hand sanitizer as we then ultimately converted one of our bottling lines in um, both Bardstown and then at our facilities in Austin, Texas and in Lethbridge, Canada to um, to get up and running making hand sanitizer. So that has been clearly a big effort. And I think the numbers are we've, we've distributed almost 150,000 liters of hand sanitizer to first responders and nursing homes and government of workers throughout um, the world where, where our facilities are. So something we're really proud of for sure. So question for you, because a bunch of people have come on saying that they started making hand sanitizer, but I've actually never asked this question and I'm very curious. How do you actually do it? <laughs> so right. how are you converting the distillery and actually making hand sanitizer? Because I know Gallo said they started making it a little and Diageo's are making it a little, but I've actually never asked how they're doing it. 
Um, so it's a great question. How do we actually make hand sanitizer? So um, when most people think of hand sanitizer, they think of like Purell that has that jelly-ish a bit of consistency to it. And our hand sanitizer is, a, is more liquidy as it doesn't have that aloe. And specifically, it is our neutral grain spirits, which is what is the base of what we think of as vodka, mostly. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit of hydrogen peroxide and then glycerin. And we were able to source these ingredients and batch it on our bottling lines and put it in our in a range of sizes from our little 100 ml bottles to 200s and 375s all the way up to also just bottling it in, or not even bottling it, but just putting, batching it in big drums um, that have been, you know, in, in huge demand as well. That's amazing. So yeah, it's um it's 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 been amazing. Really amazing how we've been able to ramp that up. So as as we, you know, we're we're in this new normal. Um I am I'm curious as as a marketing professional to to gauge sort of how you're thinking about the market now and in the future. So like one of the things that um I I read this morning from, you know, a former marketing professor of mine. Um I find myself like going back to my, you know, my MBA days and like wanting to sort of understand what happened the last recession and how we're going to get out of this one potentially is one of the things that this professor that I had had in business school put out this morning was that, you know, a key thing that we have seen from the last recession is that the brands that sort of spent during the recession got out of the recession quicker. Um, or who had like really strong strategies to continue to reach consumers got out of the request, the recession quicker. Um, and actually did okay in the recession as well. I'm curious sort of like what your strategy looks like or, or what you started to think about in terms of this, because we're not really in a recession yet. I think a lot of people think we might go in, into one, but as a marketing professional, like what strategies are you thinking about? Um, and sort of how do you see the landscape moving forward for the business? Yeah, great question. And as a marketing professional, I have been fascinated with what you're talking about, but even first and foremost, just how consumer behavior today and in the next 12 to 18 months is going to be different from how it was pre pre COVID-19. And that's really where I've been spending a lot of my time um, before we get to the spending piece and how we want to, you know, and how we want to market is, is really going back to the consumer and understand what their consumer needs are going to be. Right. And, you know, early on, there's we, we started talking about sanitation and just how that is going to become such a stronger consumer driver. And, and, and need state than ever before. So brands that are going to be able to truly and authentically talk about what they're really about, um, the, that can be truly trusted for good manufacturing processes, good ingredients, um, local bars and restaurants that they feel safe in. This is all going to be driving consumer behavior. And as we continue to study that, you know, we have to identify, are there brands in our portfolio that speak more to that or less to that? And how do we, you know, want to evolve the positioning or messaging around around those those need states? So I've been spending a lot of time on that. Um, We as Heaven Hill in the last recession really saw our brands flourish Many of our brands in our portfolio play really to 
the smart, sophisticated shopper who who does not want to spend more money on a product than they need to. Right. For example, our Abernelson's product, the Abernelson's consumer prides themselves on being a loyal Abernelson consumer because it's maybe not quite as expensive as some other brands in the marketplace so that they can save money there to go spend on their lake house. So we have a lot of consumers like that. And we saw in the last recession that brands like that really flourished. So our portfolio remains in a really great place to be able to take advantage of that increasing consumer mindset. So we feel good about that. Um, You know, from a spending perspective, our growth brands will continue to invest in as they continue to grow and flourish. And, you know, we might have to make hard choices, things we were investing in that aren't going to be as relevant. We might have to decide to throttle back a little bit on some of those. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, it is funny because I've, I've never, to hear you talk about your brands that way, I've never really thought about it in that perspective, but I've always just liked Elijah Craig because I thought it was an amazing bourbon for the money, mm-hmm. but I never, but I've never articulated it that way. Right? I've just been like, oh, this is a great bourbon, but you're right that the bang for the buck is really there. Yeah. I mean, one of so our it, it core values sense. as a company is integrity and that has, driven so much of what our portfolio is about. And, you know, starting, you know, back when my grandfather and his brothers were running the company and then my dad, we've just never been a company that um, creates a product that might be kind of smoke and mirrors from an ingredients or authentic authenticity perspective, but charged a zillion dollars for it because um, of the packaging or something else. It's we, we just have such integrity in the liquid that goes in every bottle that we sell. Do you think, so we're talking about changing in behaviors. We're seeing obviously a lot of people now move even more digital than they used to be. I mean, in terms of vine pair in general, right? Like the traffic we're seeing every single day, even just to our cocktail library is insane. It's, it's like the level of traffic we would normally see around New Year's and Christmas, right? And the holidays. And we're seeing that daily. Do you think that the behavior of consumers moving not just more digitally, but also to making cocktails at home and consuming at home is going to stick? Um, oh, and, that's a good question. You know, are you preparing for that? Yeah. So, you know, so we, we too have obviously been adapting to um, going from live experiences to creating digital virtual experiences. And a number of our brands have capitalized on that concept. Um, the, the biggest one where it's the, the brand's been most impacted is Deep Eddy, where the brand is all about bringing consumers together to right. have good times, <laughs> right? So that's a little tricky. Um, so we have really been at the forefront there in bringing those music festival and and um, street festival type experiences to consumers in a digital and virtual way. We've been doing a lot of Facebook live concerts um, with local musicians and whatnot. So um, that's been wa- ways we've been able to adapt there. Um, so so yes, bringing experiences digitally, I think is is something that will remain popular. So again, Mm -hmm. it goes back to this uncertainty around consumer behavior and which consumer segments are going to emerge as the predominant um, mindset and, and action. So for example, I've been trying to talk to a lot of our young team members at Heaven Hill, as well as just, you know, reading and querying. And for every young person who feels invincible 
around getting corona and is ready to go charge back out and pick up their life back where there was. There's the right. other segments that can't be forgotten. Every consumer is important who are really going to continue to be afraid and not so sure that they want to jump right back into things. So I don't know that we know yet which segments are going to emerge as as dominating and how that will impact then where we take our marketing. Um, I think it's pretty certain, sadly, and, um, you know, understandably, that the world of big festivals and big interactions is going to be pretty dormant through the rest of this calendar year at a minimum. And, uh, you know, every day the news changes, but we're all, we're all paying attention and looking for signs and looking for trends. So spending a lot of time with my antenna up trying to take it all in for sure. Totally. Well, Kate, this has been a really fascinating conversation. I'd actually love to have you back on in a few months once we sort of get a clearer picture of the the rebuild because we plan to basically sort of pivot this special podcast to sort of look at now how we rebuild the industry after sort of COVID, the, the opening happens. But I, your insights have been really fascinating and I really appreciate you taking the time to My be pleasure. you know open and honest with us and talk to us about how you guys are thinking over at Heaven Hill and, um, you know, provide a lot of perspective on how other people should potentially be thinking as well. Yeah. I can't wait to participate in that because I'm so eager to see what that's going to look like. I'm so know, eager to see what, you know, <laughs> my, my peers in the industry and the other companies, how we're all in this together. And that is one great thing about our industry, you know, that, um, you know, many of your other um, participants on, on Vine Pair and on your podcast are people that I know and respect, and we're all kind of in this together and sharing ideas and sharing worries and, it makes it it makes it a lot of fun totally well thank you so much for taking the time again i really appreciate it thank you thanks so much for listening to the vine pair podcast if you enjoy listening to us every week please leave us a review or rating on itunes stitcher spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts it really helps everyone else discover the show now for the credits vine pair is produced and hosted by zach jabal erica ducey and me adam teeter Our engineer is Nick Patry and Keith Beavers. I'd also like to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, and the rest of the VinePair team for their support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again right here next week.